0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 15. Romans 10 in verse 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they believe uh, without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So we're back in Romans chapter 10 today. Appreciate you listening. I like this quote from a lady named Vera Nazarian. She says this, Ignorance is one of the scariest things out there because those of us who are most ignorant are also the ones who often don't know or don't want to admit it. And I think that the Bible would substantiate that. And the Bible distinguishes between a willful ignorance and an unwitting ignorance. In Numbers chapter 15 and verse 27, for example, where Moses is giving instructions about how to be cleansed from unwitting sins versus those which have been committed willfully. Second um, Peter 3.5 also speaks of a, a willful kind of, of ignorance when Peter is discussing the the end of things, um, when G- when Jesus returns in his second coming, he talks about the mockers in the last days, and he says that they willfully are ignorant of the facts in verse 5. That's my paraphrase. But um, but here's the thing. The Bible, even though it makes that distinction between willful and unwitting ignorance, it does not make a distinction in the consequences of ignorance, willful or otherwise. Uh, so whether we're, whether we're talking about ignorance, you know of sin uh someone violating the law of God or god's commands uh and and being unaware of that or ignorance of god's will the the two are inseparable for one thing, but regardless, the end result is condemnation. never once in scripture do we find that there is a blessing to be had in ignorance, but we do find the opposite we do find the opposite, hosea four and verse six, my people are destroyed. For lack of knowledge, right? So we do find that there is a a a consequence, a, a very bad one, destruction as a result of this lack of knowledge, and, and of course, and and the people of God's case there in Hosea as the prophets indicting them, that was a willful kind of ignorance, and in the New Testament uh, that we read uh, yesterday in Romans ten and verse three, that verse where Paul says, "Not knowing about God's righteousness." And seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, as he's speaking about the condemnation of his brethren according to the flesh. So uh, other other Jews is who he's talking about. So, you know, are are we better off to tend to our own affairs and pass blissfully through life unaware of what the Bible says? I don't think we can find any support for that in Scripture. And yet that's that's a common rationale, I think, in even in the religious world that you know I, ignorance is bliss this kind of thing or, or uh you know don't don't tell me and if if because if i don't know well then then i can't be held accountable for for not knowing for being for being ignorant you know we're we're not better off by ignoring divine facts and obligations that god has has placed upon all people and some of them are unsettling yes but it's the truth and that's something we have to desire. You know, some folks, you know, even even those who would profess faith or identify themselves as Christians uh, seem to be under the impression that it's nice just to know enough of the Bible to excuse themselves. And I've encountered this. I've been guilty of this, and you've encountered it as well, I'm sure. You know, but we have to remember the reality. And Peter says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 8 is that beloved he says, "Be not ignorant, beloved. Be not ignorant." And Paul says, "Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is." In Ephesians five seventeen. So, sadly, in spite of those in spite of the, those admonitions and those warnings, and many go on thinking that ignorance of the gospel equates to justification. That you know, if someone doesn't know or if they never heard, well, then that means well they can't be held accountable to it. And thus they're they're okay they're spiritually. They're they're justified. They're standing with God is okay. We've and we've heard those arguments, you know, all, all our lives. And the reasoning usually goes something like this: you know, in some remote jungle, far far away, there are people who have never heard of Jesus Christ or His commandments, and so they can't believe if they have not heard. And they might even cite that text that we looked at at the beginning of this discussion, Romans ten fifteen, where Paul says, "Well, how are they going to hear?" without a preacher, and how will they preach unless they are sent, and and so on and that text. So they might even use that passage to go along with this this rationale. If they don't know the commands, well, they can't believe the commands, and so um, they can't obey, and, and and surely God knows that, and he will save them. And folks who make these kinds of arguments um, have made a cru- crucial mistake, and, and here's what it is. They have equated, or they have made not hearing the gospel So they've made ignorance of the gospel or not hearing the gospel the reason that people are lost. Okay, but that is not the reason people are lost according to the scripture. Romans 6, 23, Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul did not say, he doesn't say that the wages of not hearing the gospel is death. Right so it's it's sin of which all men are guilty men men are lost, men and women are lost because of their sins, no matter where they are or who they are or what they have or have not heard. Sin is the disease that brings spiritual death, whether someone's aware of that or not, and the and the gospel is the only cure because it reveals Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and the means by which we can take advantage of that sacrifice. So so the disease is real regardless of our knowledge of the cure is the point. So we must know for certain that one, that first of all, the gospel was not given to make good people better any more than medicine is given to make healthy people healthier, right? Medicine is given a remedy is given because there is a sickness, right? And that's what the, the gospel is. It's, it's a remedy. It's a cure for the sickness that all men have, according to Paul in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, that's every accountable person who has ever walked the face of the earth. And the wages of that sin is spiritual death, eternal separation. Romans 5.12, Paul says, death spread to all men because all have sinned. He doesn't say death spread to all men because Adam sinned. He says no death spread to all men because all you, me, everybody else again have sinned. We have had at some point have made the choice, whether in thought or word or deed to violate the commands of God. We haven't conducted ourselves according to the will of God. And that is, that is sin. We got out of our lane and we brought condemnation on ourselves. So, so even if there are people in a faraway jungle or in a faraway island that have never heard the gospel, and that's far away from being proven, by the way, their their ignorance does not justify them any more than a sick man's ignorance would uh, would heal him, right? You know the the condition that they're in does not justify anyone else's refusal to obey the gospel either, or, or to remain ignorant of it. Uh, so that's the, and that's really the primary issue. So a lot of time that rationale and that, you know, that hypothetical scenario is given to justify, you know, your neighbor across the street or some relative in your family or a friend and their refusal to obey the gospel. Right. But even, even our, you know, it's let's give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, the people on this fantasy faraway Island who don't know the gospel. Let's just say, okay, they're, they're ignorance, but what? How, did, how in the world does that justify you or anybody else that you would want to use that excuse for? It doesn't. Those people in that faraway place are lost because of their sins, just as you and I are, and just as everybody else in the world is. Everybody needs Jesus Christ the same as you and me and the rest of the sinful world. And so we see, I, I hope that we see the urgency of the task then. First and foremost, I, for myself, must diligently seek to obey God. Hebrews 11.6 He who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, for without faith it is impossible to please God. So first of all, I have to take the initiative for myself and investigate for myself and seek God and pursue Him and His will for myself. And then I have to... Teach that truth to others as I as I earnestly desire His truth, and any and any failure to do so is entirely my fault. Uh, I have to teach that to others, and I have to try and instill that desire in others. And you know those those results are out of my hands and out of your hands, but uh, but that is secondly my responsibility because it's not only true for me, but it's it's true for all accountable people, even those. You know, in that in that faraway jungle, God is no respecter of persons, Romans 2 and verse 11 teaches us. So my condemnation is just, and it's as just as theirs would be just because we have all sinned. And Christians have to make every effort to heed the gospel, apply it to their lives, and make every effort to take it to others because our condemnation will be just whether we take them the gospel or not and their condemnation will be just whether we take them the gospel or not if we are unconcerned and neglectful in that regard in taking them the gospel remedy our condemnation is twice justified right? cuz we're we're failing in and having the desire and we're, and we're and thus we're failing in in the mission that we've been given to make disciples of all nations Matthew 28 In verse 16 of Romans chapter 10, Paul goes on. He says, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So not all those who hear the gospel will appreciate it for what it is. That's what Paul's saying. So we have a task before us to go and teach. Christians do. To go and teach. But not everybody we teach is going to appreciate the truth for what it is. And that was the case with many of Paul's Jewish brethren. That's who he's lamenting in, in this context of Romans 9, 10, 11. Um, and this, he is saying this response on their part was prophesied by Isaiah himself. So faith begins with the acceptance of truth, and it comes from no other source. First of all, it comes faith comes from no other source. And Jesus teaches that those who do not understand the truth... Um, really have no desire to understand. So Luke chapter 8 and verse 9, John 6, 67, 68, and John 8, 43, and 44. Uh, so let's take those passages and link them together. And I encourage you to go back and read, read them in their fuller context. But I'm just going to kind of go through those verses rapid fire very quickly. So Luke 8 records um, the parable of of the sower and beginning in verse 9. It says his disciples began questioning him about what this parable meant. And so Jesus goes on to uh, explain then what the parable of the sower means. And he's talking about different soils and how those different soils represent different hearts and that the seed that was thrown on the soil is the word of God. And the soil, those different hearts, those different people responded in varying ways. Most of them rejected it. Right, if you, as you go down through verses fourteen, thirteen through fourteen, and then he says in verse fifteen, but the seed and the good soil; these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and they hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Right, so Jesus is saying that the the kind of person and the kind of heart in which the word is going to be effective is, is the one that is willing to muster the honesty and and be confronted by the word and be convicted by the word. And 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 humble enough to admit, yes, I I I need, I need Jesus. I have sinned, and I need this truth. I need forgiveness, and thus they will be reconciled and, and bear fruit. Uh, in John chapter six verses sixty seven and sixty eight, Jesus said to the twelve, "You do not want to go away, also, do you?" And Simon Peter answered him and said, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life." Uh, so jesus in that in that chapter, again, I encourage you to go back and read it in its entirety, has just described himself as the bread which has come down out of heaven, and his disciples, his true disciples, will eat his flesh and drink his blood, which is a metaphor for his teaching. They will consume him and all of him, and not be selective as some of these folks were wanting to do, uh because Jesus says what he says there in those two verses um you don't want to go away also because there's a, a whole lot of people in that chapter who walk away from him right after he teaches them he says that they say this is a difficult saying this is too hard to accept and john says as a result many were not walking with him anymore and so then Jesus turns to his disciples the 12 the ones who would be called apostles and ask them the same question. Then Peter realizes, or Peter answers him rather, and says, "You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go?" Yes, it may be difficult in other words, but these are this is the truth. You have the words of life, and so we wouldn't dare shirk that. And so, I mentioned that text as as an example of the kind of attitude um, that is that is held up in Scripture as as exemplary as the kind of attitude we need. Uh, you this this willingness to follow the truth of Jesus wherever it takes us right if it if it runs roughshod over our our preconceived notions about what is right or what is acceptable to God in matters of religion or the plan of salvation we have to be honest with ourselves and even though it may be a difficult saying as these people were saying in John chapter 6 um it, it nevertheless is true and so i need to submit to it And then finally, John chapter 8, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says this to his audience there. He says, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you do the desires of your father. And he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so... And that text from Jesus shows that it was an attitude problem on the on the part of those individuals so he's saying you you're wanting to imitate a certain individual that individual is the devil and you share his desires and he has no desire for truth whatsoever and so back to verse forty three that's why you can't understand what I'm saying right so the the point is is that it's it's not an intellectual block it's not a mental capacity kind of thing. Jesus is, you know, nowhere in the scripture does it teach where you're just not smart enough to understand the gospel. And that is, by and large, not the reason, right? There there are instances where that's the case where it's just a, a sincere ignorance, as, you know, in, in John chapter four with the woman at the well, I think she would be an example of that. But by and large it's a willful ignorance that keeps people from obeying the truth. It's it's this stubbornness to Uh, serve ourselves or some other authority rather than be honest with ourselves about what the scripture is saying and what Jesus is saying and the devil just exploits those kinds of individuals and they keep the word from their heart and so they they don't believe and they are not saved as Jesus says in Luke 8 and verse 12 so the, the human heart is the greatest obstacle to receiving truth the human heart is what um we we tend to want to, you know, hide in this dark cave of ignorance, thinking that we're gonna be safe there. If I just don't know, then I just won't be accountable. But again, that's nowhere found in in scripture. And so if we don't love the truth, if we don't love the truth, then we're not going to pursue it and seek it and desire it, regardless of its consequences. And and that's what we find in Second 2 Thessalonians two ten that those who perish, Paul says, they perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And you see, it's an attitude problem again. And that's that's being held up before us. And so, that's the challenge. I think that's one of the challenges that comes through in this study is, you know, we have to ask ourselves, do, do, I, do I love the truth? And if I say yes, well then, what do I do that demonstrates that? I mean, do am I uh, do I really study the Bible? Do I pursue it daily? Do I, you know, if I have a doubt or have a question, uh, what do I do about that? Do I do I set time set time aside to then go investigate that? Um, you, you know, and 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 pray about that, and ask God to help me find the answer in His Word. You know, do I do I really love the truth? David said in Psalm 5 that our God desires truth in the innermost parts. And Jesus said again in that text in Luke 8 that it's the honest and good heart that will value the truth, recognize it for for what it is and and hold it fast and and bear fruit with perseverance in verse 15. So you know it we you know if we could just stop thinking in terms of of parties vying for influence in the religious realm and just turn our attention to the truth. I think that would go so far in just dismantling denominationalism and sectarianism. If it would just give all of our energy to pursuing the truth and and set our hearts to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach it as Ezra did you know, then then we wouldn't speak or think in terms of a Baptist doctrine or Methodist doctrine or Catholic doctrine or Church of Christ doctrine, you know, but, but we would seize upon and value Bible doctrine. You know, if we understand that genuine faith, genuine faith, the kind that's acceptable to God comes from His Word and His Word alone, that would be the first step, I think, in, in in dismantling and diminishing those kinds of prejudices and preconceived notions um, and divisions. If we just all would share that desire for truth, it, not trying to, you know, it, it just get rid of all fleshly desires and call those out in, in ourselves, in our own hearts. We're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to get you to leave your party and come to our party. We're not saying we're better than anybody else. We just want to sit down, open the Word of God, see what it says, and apply it to our lives and, and challenge each other to, to do that. You know, Paul concludes that his Jewish brethren should not have been ignorant of God's plan to bring salvation to the world and to the Gentiles. You know, this wasn't something that should have come as a surprise because their own prophets, including Moses himself, had indicated this very thing. And Paul goes into that in, in Romans chapter 10 as well in verse 19. Later in the text, he says, I, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, and by a nation without understanding will I anger you. And that's what exactly what happened as we look into the book of Acts and see how... The different responses come about as Paul is preaching the truth in various places, usually starting in synagogues and then, you know, taking those folks who would believe his Jewish brethren. Some of them did, a lot of them didn't, but some of them did. And the ones who didn't, like in Acts chapter 13, usually didn't oppose him in principle. If you look in Acts chapter 13 and you read that text there, I think beginning around verse 40 later in the chapter, those people were actually begging to hear the truth a week later on the next Sabbath. But when they saw that the Greeks were showing up to hear the same truth and that the whole city was there, they grew jealous. And they started opposing the teaching of Paul. So so it wasn't that they opposed truth in principle or even Paul's preaching in principle. It was that they just couldn't stand the idea. They had this prejudicial attitude. They couldn't stand the idea that God would offer his the blessings to someone who wasn't them right and so and so that was a fleshly motivation and all that did was just keep them away from obeying the truth and so they ended up ignoring and responding really with hostility to the message of God and to to God himself and and separated themselves from him and what Paul says in Acts 13:44 through 46 is that they had judged themselves unworthy of eternal life by responding that way. They were so determined that they were not going to share their special status with anybody else. that They indicted themselves before God. And it simply wasn't their call or any man's call to make. It's, it's God who offers salvation and the terms of salvation. And so we can't be guilty of the same mistake. Let's just be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, have I come to God on His terms? Or am I remaining willfully ignorant? The Lord says, Romans ten twenty one: All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Willful ignorance is both dangerous and fatal. And God is not confused, He's not mocked, He's, He's not fooled. He says, I'm stretching out my hands. Let's not be counted among the disobedient and obstinate people he speaks of. He's put the Bible at our fingertips, so let's take advantage of it. Let's not be willfully ignorant. That leads to disobedience and obstinance, and it places us under the condemnation of God. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.